0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, worship team. And uh, I just want to say, man, we are so blessed with uh, some great lay leaders in our church. Amen? Amen. And uh, this whole time that we've been transitioning, I've been transitioning out of worship, and uh, God has blessed us with a great new worship pastor, and he's moving uh, to Texas this week. So be in prayer for Ben. And Robin Garcia and their precious uh, little children as they make the trek from Fredericksburg, Virginia, all the way back to Texas. So be in prayer for their safety as they move. We're going to be moving him in on Friday. And he'll be here leading in worship next Sunday, December 10th. So, so pray for Ben. And uh, I'm excited about him being on staff with us. And I know you're excited to get to know he and his family. But in the interim, man, we've been blessed with guys like Marty and Jeff and Israel Esquivel and the... Uh, The Hispanic Ministries team, so it's been a privilege for me just to see how God has worked through this whole thing. And this morning, I'm going to be the preacher today because our pastor's on his way back from Mexico with the group uh, that we sent down there to build a house for a needy family and also to to deliver some gifts for us, and I think they're on the road right now, and I think that they are streaming our service live uh, in the van on their way back. So somebody's got an incredibly beefy data plan. And they're all gathered around, either an iPad or a cell phone. So can we just kind of look back toward the sound booth area and wave and say, hi. So everybody, took, hi guys. So we're praying for their safety. And then I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm privileged to uh, speak today and to bring the first in a series of messages uh, about the characters of Christmas. And so every Sunday in the month of December, we're going to be drilling in on one uh, person that makes up the cast of characters for the Christmas story. And uh, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, focusing on the mother of Jesus, Mary. And as I was preparing the message this week, uh, putting, putting my sermon together, it hit me all of a sudden that I'm going to be talking about Jesus' mother this morning. That's intimidating. That's intimidating. Anytime you, you venture to talk about anyone's mom, you better be careful. And this morning, I'm talking about Jesus' mother, and so pray that we get this right today, okay? Lord, help me to say what needs to be said about Mary today. I think we can learn so much uh, from just this, this small passage about Mary's life. You know, I love the Gospel of Luke because unlike all the other Gospels, Luke... His approach was he wasn't an eyewitness of the events that we're about to read about, but he interviewed people that were there. And he's a great historian. See, he was putting together the gospel, of course inspired by the Holy Spirit, for a Gentile friend named Theophilus. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote uh, Acts as a follow-up to lay out in orderly succession for his dear friend the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the work of his church. And so I love the Gospel of Luke in that it tells us a little bit more contextually than the other Gospels, especially about the Christmas story. In fact, uh, what we're about to look at this morning, uh, Gabriel coming and delivering a message, God's proposal uh, for Mary, it only occurs in the book of Luke. And so I love looking at the book of Luke, especially for the Christmas story, because you get an overarching view of the events uh, that took place uh, over 2,000 years ago. And so today we're going to focus on... Uh, A young girl, probably a teenage girl, probably around the age of 14, named Mary, whose life would never be the same after she met an angel named Gabriel. Uh, Let's go ahead and read uh, the text today. We're going to start in verse 26. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring Luke to lay things out for us in order so that we can see the individuals that were involved in your miraculous plan. Jesus, today as we speak about Mary, who was your mother, the woman uh, who carried you in her womb, the woman who raised you uh, for your earthly life, Lord, help us to honor her, help us to respect her, help us to learn from her faithfulness. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd just uh, open our hearts and minds to what you would have us do today. Help us to live a life of surrender to your greater purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we get into the uh, information about Mary, and I'm just going to share with you six things that we discover about Mary from God's proposal to her in this passage. We begin in Nazareth. Like any good historian who's about to tell you a story, he goes back to the origin. He goes to the hometown. The only reason we know anything about Nazareth is because it was Jesus' hometown. It was a very small, insignificant place. I live now in Burleson, Texas, and it's a pretty small place. It's not as small as Nazareth, uh, but nobody really knew about Burleson, Texas until somebody won American Idol. Anybody know who won American Idol? Kelly Clarkston, okay? Uh, You don't have to raise your hand if you listen to her music. I think she's an amazing singer, Uh, but she still lives around here, I think. Her choir teacher was the same choir teacher that my girls had uh, at that high school, so that's the claim to fame of small-town Burleson, Texas. Nazareth was an even smaller town. In fact, at the time this story occurred, um, historians and archaeologists claim that Nazareth was made up of only about 200 to 400 people in its population. Uh, We have a little more than that right here, right now. So Nazareth is a small place. Anybody grew up in a small town besides John Cougar Mellencamp? Okay. He was born in a small town. He likes to live in a small town. Anyway. But in small towns, uh, people think that, that you know just because you're in a small town, it's insignificant. But big things can happen in small towns. Uh, when I served as associate pastor at a church in Talladega, Alabama, that's right, NASCAR, Talladega, Alabama, uh, I, I lived there. It was about population 24,000, give or take. When the race hit town, uh, it multiplied by 10, 200,000. It was crazy. Never went to the race there, but I can't say that I regret that. Anyway, I lived in Talladega, Alabama, and I'll never forget, we had a guy visit our church for the first time, and he was a newspaper reporter, and he worked for the local Talladega newspaper, and in follow-up, the pastor and I dropped by his house, and we just started talking to him, asking him where he was from. He was from Chicago, Illinois. He worked for the Sun-Times in Chicago, big city newspaper, big city reporter, And we said, well, why would you ever come to Talladega, Alabama? No offense to Talladega, just much smaller. He said, are you kidding me? There is more juicy news happening in this small town than there ever was in Chicago. Big stuff can happen in small towns. Well, if this reporter was uh, a part of the population of Nazareth, this would have been some kind of juicy story because a small-town girl named Mary, who had some plans, she was engaged to a good man, had an unbelievable, miraculous encounter with an angel. And so let's recount this today. We're going to learn six things about Mary. And the first thing that we learn about Mary is found in verses 26 through 27. We learn about Mary's purity. It says that Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. To a virgin. And this virgin was Mary. We learn about Mary's purity. Now, we don't know much about her Uh, before this moment, but we do know that she was a virgin. She had remained physically pure in a society that, thanks to Greco-Roman influence, treated sex very casually back in those days. And so to say that this young girl uh, still had her virginity was a big deal in that culture. And by the way, it's a big deal in our culture too because we have also been influenced by by a, a culture that says, you know, purity is not that important we don't place a high premium on purity uh, you can be with anyone you want anytime you want as long as it's okay with you but God has a very uh, clear standard for pre- premarital purity and postmarital purity that's found in his word God esteems sexual purity for pre premar- premarital purity God says abstinence just abstain for postmarital purity, God says faithfulness. Just be with who you're with. Premarital sex is called fornication in the Bible, and it's sin. I know we don't talk a whole lot about this, and I hope I don't make a, a bunch of people uncomfortable, but I'm just telling you what God's standard is. And God says premarital purity is very important to me. Postmarital purity is very important to me. Any, any sexual relationship outside of marriage with a person other than your, than your spouse is called adultery. And adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. Adultery is sin. And sin always leads to suffering. Always. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. And God has very distinct guidelines about sexual purity. And I think it's a, it's a big deal that Mary was a virgin because had she not been a virgin, she would have been disqualified for God's purpose for her life. Some people think that God is a, is a killjoy. He's up in heaven saying, uh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that because I don't want you to be happy. That's not the truth. God saying don't do this is essentially him saying help yourself to happiness. I created all of these things. I know the proper context for all of it. You need to do what I, what I prescribe and, and do it the way I prescribe it or, or you're going to have some problems. It's like a good father telling his kids not to play with matches because eventually if you play with matches, you're going to get what? You're going to get burnt. It's like a good father advising his children not to spread out a blanket on I-35 and have a picnic in the middle of the interstate during rush hour. It's a pleasant activity. It's just at the wrong place at the wrong time. You understand? And so when God forbids something, when he says, thou shalt not do this, he's saying, help yourself to happiness and don't deal with all the baggage that comes from disobedience. Purity is so important. Life is hard enough without adding the baggage of sexual sin. Mary, because she was a virgin, because of her purity, she was qualified to participate in the miraculous entrance of Jesus into the world because she was pure. Mary's virginity is part of our core Christian beliefs. The Apostles' Creed was was crafted about AD 140. It's the earliest writing of the church as a whole of our beliefs, and it says, "I believe in God the Father almighty, maker of heaven and an earth, and Jesus Christ his only begotten son. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin." The virgin birth is a big deal. If you don't believe in the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then you don't believe that he has the ability to save you from your sins. It's a big deal. Mary's purity. So the story of, of Mary starts out, she was a virgin. Now I know that some of you here this morning may have failed at abstinence before marriage. Some of you have maybe failed of faithfulness inside of marriage. And you need to hear this. Purity is just a prayer away. Purity is just a prayer away. Some of you are living in guilt and shame because you failed in this area and you violated God's prescription. But purity is just a prayer away. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that word confess is pretty important. Confess doesn't just mean admit or feel bad about. Confess means call the sin in your life the same thing that God calls the sin in your life, which is open rebellion against him. You have to realize what you've done and the gravity of that. You have to deal with the weight of your sin, and you say, God, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Restore me and cleanse me. And when you do that... Purity is just a prayer away. He is faithful and just to forgive us and then cleanse us from what unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Purity is just a prayer away. But not only do we see Mary's purity, but in verse 27 we see Mary's plan. Verse 27, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of, Of David Mary's plan was stable it was socially acceptable she had committed to Mary Joseph and he came from a good family in fact he was in the lineage in the line of David he was 20 uh, 28 generations removed from King David that's pretty good Mary's folks would have been pretty happy about that plan now young people it's good to have plans you need it's good to sit down and think about where you want to be how you're gonna get there and make plans accordingly. Would you agree, adults? It's good to have plans. Adults, by the way, it's good to have plans. It's good to sit down and think about where you want to be five years from now, ten years from now, how you're going to get there, what it will take, and write those things out. Mary had plans, and they were respectable plans. Uh, we know from studying further about Joseph, and by the way, next next week, John is going to elaborate on the life of Joseph. He'll be the character of Christmas that we're going to take a look at next week. So briefly, though, we can see that That Joseph was a just man. He was kind and thoughtful. We learn this from Matthew 1, 19 through 20. He was just. He wanted to do what was right. When he found out that Mary was with child and it wasn't his, he was going to follow the protocol and divorce his wife, but he didn't want to shame her, so he's kind. He's considerate. He was going to do it quietly in deference to her. That's a just man, but he's kind. He's compassionate. We also know that he was obedient to God. Uh, God sent an angel to talk to Joseph and to explain this premarital pregnancy. And when he heard God's explanation, he obeyed God. I'll help Mary. I'll go through with the plan here. I'll be the earthly father of the Messiah. Later on, when Jesus' life was threatened and God sent an angel to tell Joseph to relocate his family to Egypt, immediately he went. He, he obeyed God. So he was just, he was kind, thoughtful, he obeyed God. Even if it meant public humiliation, he obeyed God. He had self-control. Matthew 1.24 says that Joseph exercised self-restraint. He was not with his wife-to-be until after she gave birth. That's some self-discipline right there, guys. I don't know, but that's some self-discipline. So he was a disciplined guy. He was just, kind, thoughtful, thoughtful. Self-control, he provided for and protected his family physically, financially, and spiritually. Joseph was a catch. So let me talk to the, to the students here this morning. Ladies, if you're looking for a guy that could be the guy, this is, a, this is a pretty good list, okay? Pretty good list. We don't know much about Joseph, but we know that he was just, kind, thoughtful, obeyed God. He loved Jesus. He had self-control. He provided for his family. He protected his family. That's some of the things you need to have on your list. And so, Mary had a good plan. Mary's plan was to marry Joseph, be a a good wife for him. But Proverbs 69 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God created and designed us for more than just self-gratification. There is a greater purpose That supersedes even our best laid plans you know I I think in in making plans for our life we settle for less so many times Um, I know many of you are thinking about lunch right now and so let me say that that you know in in making plans for our lives we will settle for a meal deal but God wants to supersize us does that make sense does that speak to you right now those of you that are hungry You're just content with a meal deal, but God has so much more, but you never open yourself up to it. You just settle for less. Don't settle for less. God has more if you just trust him. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But the next thing we discover in God's proposal to Mary was not only Mary's purity and Mary's plan, but in verses 28 through 30, we see Mary's privilege. Mary's privilege the angel comes to her and says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She was highly favored. She was blessed. Now, now, why is that? Well, surely she wasn't the only virgin teenage girl in all of Israel. Surely there were others who qualified for this purpose that God had. Why did God choose Mary? Well, a couple of theological things we could say was that God, in his sovereignty, created Mary. He, he created her body, her mind, her emotions. He gave her a certain personality. He knew that she would be perfect to carry his son and to raise Jesus into the man who was on a mission. But other than that, we really don't know why God chose Mary. God only knows, as they say. But Mary was special. And may I say this morning that that all of you are special. In fact, I think it could be said of each and every one of you that you are favored, highly favored, and blessed by God. Well, what are you talking about, Dave? Just the fact that you live in this country and have the ability to, to be here in the United States means that you are highly favored and blessed compared to the rest of the world. Now I'm not talking about national pride. I'm just talking about reality. Do you realize the fact that you live here in America puts you in the top one percent, financially, of all the world? Most of you, when you woke up this morning, got out of a nice soft bed and out from under nice warm blankets into a temperature-controlled room. You have a roof over your head. It wouldn't have mattered if it would have rained. It wouldn't have mattered if the temperature dropped. You woke up to the to the perfect environment. And then you put on some nice warm clothes. After you took a shower with running water, hopefully you took a shower, I'm making some assumptions here, but hopefully you took a shower and when you turn the knob, the water came out and you can adjust the temperature and then you went to a refrigerator and you got your temperature controlled food. You didn't worry about getting dysentery or anything. When you took a drink and you brushed your teeth and then you got into an automobile that had gas in it and you drove to a beautiful building and you're sitting on a cushioned bench. Do you get what I'm saying? Do I need to keep talking to get you to realize that you are favored and you are blessed? Why? Have you ever wrestled with that? Why did God allow me to be born here to have all of this stuff, to have access like I have, to have finances like I have? Why? I'll tell you why. Because your privilege is a part of God's purpose for your life. He wants you to use what he's allowed you to have for his glory and to fulfill his purpose in this world. Just like Mary, the angel said, you are favored, you are blessed, you get to impact the world because God and his grace in your life. And I'm telling you, you are highly favored and you are blessed and your privilege is has something to do with God's purpose for your life. What is that purpose? You have to discover that for yourself. I didn't even mention the fact that you live in Texas. I mean, hello. (laughs) Texas compared to the rest of the United States. There's a bumper sticker that says, I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. And that's my story. I got here as quick as I could. God has a purpose in your life. Your privilege is a part of that purpose some you know some people choose to focus on all the things that they don't have and greed in their life steals their gratitude Amen. but you need to count your blessings you need to wake up every morning and say thank you god thank you god for running water thank you god for this house that we have thank you god for the car that we drive thank you god for the clothes that we wear and if you can't do that you need to go on a short term mission trip you need to go to some places where they don't have those things and then God will give you an appreciation. More than that, he'll break you from your greed. I went to Panama with Chuck Ward with MANA Worldwide, and we went to see some of the kids that are serviced by the feeding center there, and we went to see where they live, and they live out in the jungle in like a squatter's village, just little, just little shacks with mud floors and... And a contaminated river is where, uh, is not only their, their source of drinking water, but it's also their bathroom. And Chuck told our group before we went out and walked through the little mud trails to visit these kids where they live, he said, I want to tell you up front, he said, you're going to see some naked children. And some of our group giggled, and he said, they're not immodest. He said, it's just that they only have one pair of clothing that they wear. And so when that's dirty, they take it off, they wash it in the river, they hang it up to dry, and until it dries, they're naked. It was shocking. And to see that they sleep on plywood, and their their floor that they sweep, by the way, is mud. And when it rains, they have to move because everything they own is just juiced with mud. And there are people in places around the world that have it worse than that. If you're having a problem with gratitude, you need to take a missions trip. I encourage you to uh, look at some of the pictures that are being posted by uh, even our team that went to Mexico and the house that they built. And, and they video the couple, their family, this husband and wife and their, their little girl walking in the front door uh, on a cement pad to what is probably the equivalent of, of what you keep your mower in in your backyard with a loft and the, the, the mother and wife is crying. It's like she's a contestant on Extreme Home Makeover Home Edition. Walking into that little shed, she's so filled with gratitude because she has shelter for her family. We are privileged. And our privilege has a lot to do with God's purpose in our life. And you need to discover why you're so privileged and what God wants you to do with it this morning. Not only do we see that Mary was privileged, we find in verse, verses 31 through 35 Mary's purpose The angel announces, you will bear a son. He will be great, the son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign forever. His kingdom will know no end. Do you remember when I said that when we make plans for our lives, we often settle for less? We often settle for the meal deal and God wants to supersize us? Do you think this blew Mary's mind, all of these words? Mary, I know you have plans. I know you're supposed to be married to this man, and Joseph's a good man, and he's in the lineage of King David, but God has a greater purpose. God wants to supersize you. Mary's plan was local. God's purpose was global. Mary's plan involved her time. God's purpose impacted eternity. Mary's plan was to marry a distant descendant of the king. God's purpose was for Mary to mother the king of kings who would sit on the throne, and his kingdom would know no end. Mary's plan was safe. It would provide security for her, but God's purpose, while involving a little bit of suffering, would provide salvation for the world. Wouldn't you say God's purpose was bigger than Mary's plan? Yeah, and God's purpose for you is bigger than your plan. You know, when I was a junior in high school, I lived in Great Falls, Montana. And... uh, my plan my plan as a junior in high school, Great Falls, Montana, was to go to the University of Montana, study forestry, uh, and become a park ranger, green jeans and everything. I wanted the green jeans, be able to carry a gun and a holster on the side, have the, have the brown hat, um, get a 4x4 four four with you know, police lights on top and drive through the mountains all day long, get paid to do that, get paid to clear trails, relocate. Animals, you know, shoot them with a dart from helicopters and take them and relocate them. And I was content to do that. That was my plan. That was my plan. Little did I know that within one year, we would move from Montana to Virginia. I would attend the largest Christian university in the world, Liberty University. My sophomore year, during a convocation, I would surrender my life to full-time ministry. And from that moment on, I would travel America singing and preaching to students all over America about Jesus. Jesus. Travel all over. I would meet the love of my life, Dawn Winger. And if you, if you saw her, that's a miracle right there. That's, that's called supersizing my plan. Met Dawn Winger. I would serve four churches in five different states. I would, we would have four amazing children. I would go to six different countries and share the gospel. And I would end up here in Fort Worth on a Sunday morning to challenge you to surrender your life to God's plan. And God's purpose is bigger than your plan. God wants to supersize you. Don't settle. God has a greater purpose for your life, a supersized purpose. Mary had a plan. It was a good plan, but God's purpose was greater. She was faced with a decision. In verse 38, we see Mary's preference. Number five, Mary's preference. How did Mary respond to all of this? She was confused. She didn't know how it would happen, and so God goes through the process with her, which still is a little confusing. There's no reference point for that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive. Okay. No details given. It's just going to happen. She had to trust God. And there were so many unknowns to all of this, but we see in verse 38 that Mary's preference was simply to trust God. God. She said, Behold, I am the servant or the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm so impressed with the faith of this young girl to just surrender her plans, surrender her security to whatever God had for her. Imagine what it must what must have raced through her mind thinking about, well, how am I going to explain this to my mom and dad? How am I going to explain this to my friends and the rest of my family? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? But she just trusted God. This would not be easy. People would not understand. In fact, Mary was what we would call an Orthodox Jew. She practiced the Jewish faith. And for a woman who was betrothed to another man to end up pregnant, not by that man, was not a good thing. She would have been put away. She would have been shamed publicly. Joseph was trying to avoid all of that in the kindness of his heart. But this was not the path of least resistance for Mary. Mary was was simply choosing to trust God. She probably realized that the God who gave her life was worth trusting to guide her life. Would you agree with that? The God who gave us life is worth trusting to guide our lives. Her preference was to submit to God's purpose over her plans. Maybe she remembered reading Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Maybe she remembered reading Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Amen. She just said yes. Uh, we were privileged to hear Brent Longenecker during our Sunday school class. He's our missionary to the Philippines. We've supported Brent uh, for seven years. We were his first supporting church. And he shared with the journey class God's call in his life. And it's a lot like this. God makes a proposal says, I want you to do this for me, and then it's just up to us to say yes. And Brent said yes. And you just surrender your life, and you trust God. And then he gives you the next step, and you take the next step by faith. And that's what Mary did here. She said, I am the bondservant of the Lord, basically meaning I belong to you. I'm not my own. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I'm not, just take my life. And he did. Rick Warren says in his book, Purpose-Driven Life, nothing is more powerful than a surrendered life in the hands of Almighty God. And when Mary let go of her plans and embraced God's purpose, the result was praise. Look in verses 46 through 55. Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And there's a whole other message there uh, in verses 39 through 46. Uh, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. She's six months along. Mary comes in as soon as uh, her voice is heard. The baby leaps in the womb of Elizabeth and is filled with the holy spirit and and uh it's just it's really neat and we we don't have time for that today but but in talking with Elizabeth and Elizabeth sharing man, you are so blessed. this is so incredible. God has shown you favor. Mary just wells up with praise, and she can't take it anymore. She has to let out this song of praise, and it it would be it would be incredible if we only could have been there uh, with Elizabeth and Mary and heard Mary's voice say this: "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humblest state of His servant." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary saw prophetically what we, looking back, see plainly, that somehow God would use her surrender and her her willingness to be a part of God's purpose. Her son would save the world. Her son would save the world. She didn't see every step. She didn't know every sorrow. She didn't understand the strength that she would need. She just said yes and trusted a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. She laid her life down and said yes. And the result was praise. Praise. Man, when you surrender your life to God and you see him use you for a greater purpose, it will fill your life with praise. You want to see a happy guy who's been through some hard things? Our missionary Brent Longenecker wears a smile, but it's not absent from pain in his life. It's not absent from going through struggles and and sorrows and deep valleys where he he didn't think God was anywhere around, but God was faithful, and so he sticks with it because he knows that God's purpose for his life is, is greater than any plan he could ever come up with for his own life. It's greater. If you don't remember any of these six things this morning, because I probably won't either, in all honesty, a six is too many. Remember this one thing. Can you put it up on, on the board, guys? This one statement. God's proposal for each of us is to surrender our meager plans for his greater purpose. That's what Mary's story is all about. Mary surrendered her meager plans for God's greater purpose for her life. And that's the reason over 2,000 years later, we're talking about her today. What has God called you to do? What purpose does God have for your life? Let's stand together this morning, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and you may not see an angel this morning. God may not send an angel to your bedside at night but the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit is calling to your heart this morning and He's whispering to your soul God has a purpose for your life. Let go and trust God. Some of you here today have been postponing surrendering your life to God. You've been putting it off. You've been saying, well, maybe later, maybe after I get through this phase of my life, maybe after I check this box, then, God, I'll be open to you. I'll be open to whatever you want me to do. Stop delaying. Choose God's purpose. You might not even know what it is. You just want to make yourself available. All you have to do is pray to God like Mary prayed. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. We're getting ready to sing an invitational song, Just As I Am. God, take me just as I am. All that I have, all that I am. I want you to use me for your purpose, whatever it might be. Do you need to surrender this morning? If that's you, I want you to, as we sing, I want you to come and, and pray. If you want to pray with somebody, we have staff. And, and other folks here at the front that would love to, to take time and pray with you. If you just want to come, the altar's open. Just come on up and pray. Maybe you're here this morning. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know this one who was born of a virgin. He came to save you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came for you. Jesus came to save you. That was his mission. He lived the life you could never live. He lived a life that knew no sin, but he became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself when he died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you trust in his finished work on the cross and the fact that God raised him from the dead, that he will save you and forgive you of your sin, and you'll have a relationship with him and the hope of heaven. If you need to do that today, I encourage you to come forward as we sing. Just walk up to any of these people holding a Bible and say, I need to be saved this morning, and they would love to show you from God's word how to trust him for salvation today. If you have a family member that is struggling, that you feel is running from God, and you just want to pray for them, and I'm going to invite you to come. And pray as we sing. Father, we just thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to hearts and lives this morning. Stir us up, Lord. Help us to surrender our lives to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.